The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Hello, Kotak Council. This is Toby Manhart with a special edition of Gone By Lunchtime. We've had a succession in recent years of memoirs by former politicians, current and former politicians, and they're really welcome. You know, it's always good to read and understand the under the hood reality of politics that something other than just the kind of talking points and spin cycle that we so often get. The most recent cab off that rank is one Stephen Joyce, who was a long-time List MP for the National Party. He also was the campaign chair for five five different National Party campaigns, um, from Don Brash through John Key and up to Bill English. He came in to discuss his book on the record the other day, and we talked about the nature of campaigns. We talked about some of the more colourful incidents in his political history, including the time he was struck on the forehead by, I think, what is technically named a squeaky pecker, uh, about his M&M moments, and also about his relationships with the public service, about the National Party's ups and downs, about Jamie Lee Ross about we didn't get to Novapay, so sorry if you've tuned in just to talk about to hear about Novapay, you're going to be sorely disappointed. We also talked about how some of the lessons of those campaigns of years gone by could apply to the campaign that has really begun playing out already in twenty twenty three. This podcast, all our podcasts, are only possible. Genuinely, we wouldn't be able to do it unless we had uh, your help. Spin-off members contributing means that we can continue to make these. We do want to do that. Thanks also to Tiahe Butler, the producer, for making everything work. I started by asking Stephen Joyce about whether there was anything in the current campaign that was giving him... Uh, fever dreams and tremors given what happened in elections gone by. Stephen Joyce, welcome. The last few weeks have conjured up roads of national significance reborn, fiscal hole rhetoric. Are you getting flashbacks? Are you getting (laughs) getting much deja vu? Oh, you do a little bit. Um, But that's the nature of politics. Um, uh, no, I think I think it's probably the 
in terms of the roads, um, it's probably an acknowledgement that actually it's been that was quite a successful program, um, and um, and so so you know people people would, would sort of ad adopt something similar. Uh, and in terms of the fiscal stuff, uh, well, it's a legitimate debate every election, mm. and it will go on ad infinitum, I'm sure. Election to election. Well, I think maybe we'll come back to that in a, in a moment. The, are you are you involved at all? Are you sort of firing no, off texts no. of advice to Chris no, I'm, I, no, I'm I'm probably, if anything, uh, I describe myself as phone a friend. Okay. <laughs> Somebody wants to call on there. Yeah. Hasn't uh, happened yet. I get the odd call. Yeah. Um, from different people, but I yeah, I've tried to stay out of it since seventeen because I did five, and five's election. Five elections. How many is campaign? Yeah, five, five. Yeah, yeah. Right. so that's a lot. And I remember sitting around because you know the, the, that post-election conference. I don't know whether you've gone. To Stephen those. Levine, yeah, 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 love that. And um, I go, I went to five of them yeah. as campaign chair, and in the fifth one, I was looking around. And I think the only people that had been to all five was Stephen Levine, Colin James, and me. And <laughs> I thought to myself, well, I always thought of myself as the new boy, um, and suddenly I'm, I'm, you know. The longer in the tooth one, it's really time to stop doing this. <laughs> now, this book is coming out ahead of an election, but unlike uh, I recall one, for example, by a former colleague of yours, Judith Collins, which came out before an election and signaled something potentially about her mm, ambitions. Maybe. Uh, you're not uh, lining up, I don't think, to be National Party no, at this point. Not at all. That book was called Pull No Punches, and your book—it's not—it's not. You don't you don't go softly. You do cast a bit of shade and make a few, you know, gentle criticisms. But you don't. You're not. You're not. Doesn't seem like you're trying to settle scores no. particularly. No, I'm not. I was just really trying to tell it how it was. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, of course, it's still edited highlights because even in a full-length book, yeah. you know, there's lots of stories that never make it, but. They were memorable stories to me and maybe some people will find them memorable and hopefully people will get a sense of what it's like doing uh, that job. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely didn't set out to settle any scores. I, sometimes I just sort of wrote stuff down and thought, well, you people make, make of it what you will. Yeah. There's one but um, one of my favourite lines in the book. It's one of the recurring characters in the book is Gemma the dog. Yes. Uh, Sadly <laughs> passed away. But oh, since, but yes. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Uh, you describe um, uh, a column written by, I think, your close personal friend Matthew Hooten <laughs> in the MBR. Yeah. Uh, which which contained information that uh, you had a conversation with Todd Muller. Yeah. I wasn't 100% sure who was responsible. The only other individual present at my two meetings had been Gemma the dog. That's right. She was the soul of discussion. I looked at her sideways <laughs> for a while after that. <laughs> Is that how is your relationship with uh, Mr. Hooten these days? I don't have legal one. tangles, weren't there? Yeah, there yeah. were, and I don't, I don't have one. You didn't, you didn't really dwell on that in the book. You no, sort of moved well, on. that's the beauty of your own book, isn't it? You get to dwell on what you like. Hey, let's um, we'll come back to campaigns and politics and all that sort of stuff. But rewinding to where the book sort of really gets cracking is some scenes that I don't think would be obvious to people who encountered you in politics. You don't necessarily strike people as a reprobate student radio <laughs> type, but that's where it all began. That's yeah, where you got that's things. Right. That's when things really started blooming for you. Tell that's, us a bit about student radio days. Oh, it was a lot of fun. Radio Massey was was uh, was brilliant. And actually, for me, it was the starting of my career mm. uh, because I was going to be a vet. Got to the end of vet intermediate, missed out, 
had science all the way through school, had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, and th- as I write in the book, there's this careers advisor who said, well, just dip into some stuff. Mm. You know, do a degree, any degree, and dip into some stuff. And, and so I thought economics, yes, and radio. But I'll tell you, it took me ages to get up the courage just to go and see. There was a guy called Jeremy Miller who became quite a successful uh, commercial program director at starting at Excess. And Jeremy was just so cool. And I just didn't have the courage, you know, to sort of to sort of buttonhole him at parties I saw him at. And eventually, um, I, you know, I was sort of prodded by my girlfriend at the time, uh, went down to this radio station and said, you know, can I have a go? Um, and I got a go, and I loved it. I really loved it. And it was the nature of student radio that you got to do whatever you wanted to do. And we had some great talent there. We had the Corbett brothers. We had um, Quentin Bright. We had uh, a bunch of people who were very clever, and I just I just loved it and um, kept turning up. And it became more of a focus than your study, which yes. did complete some some years later, which is a yes, nice the, the study the study <laughs> uh, the study declined in inverse proportion to the radio um, growth. But you kind of uh, you grew your business chops. You realised that you had maybe a knack for some of the business side as well as the radio yeah, side. Yeah, I, I think we were pretty naive about that. Um, okay, right until we got the station on air, and uh, you know. I, we really just wanted to play REM on the radio. Mm. Uh, that was, you know, the boys wanted to play decent music in their mind, mm. um, and our view was that there wasn't enough of that, and it truly wasn't outside of Auckland, particularly. And so we, we, uh, that was our mission in life. And then, of course, when we got the station going, you know, you have to pay the bills, and you have to. And I, I found actually, I developed a knack for that business side of it once we, once we got going, and sort of had to. Yeah. And then it became progressively more exciting. The radio was still good. I still loved the radio, but the growing the business became the thing. You conquered New Plymouth and then you moved to Hamilton all around the country and kind of grew this yeah. business radio works, which is which is now, of course, media works yep. and, and, and through various changes. I think there might be a vacancy for a CEO there. If you yeah, apparently. Fancy, fancy, fancy going <laughs> back right. there. Yes. Um, do you ever think about going back to that side of things? No, not really. I'm a great one for looking forward and trying new things and and actually found this writing this book quite hard in some ways because they sort of have to sort of go back in time and sort of, you know, yeah. stay there for a while, six or eight months. And I'd sort of like to get on to the next project. Uh, and and with radio, I didn't get to do everything I wanted, but I got to do most of what I wanted. And I think you're lucky if you get to do most of what you wanted. And then Can West came in with their acquisition. Yeah. Skipping a whole Big, big yeah. chunks of this, but it been 2000. And you resisted that. You, yeah. weren't, you weren't a fan of that. If, if that hadn't happened, do you think you would have made your way to politics? Or do you think that that, do I think that was fated? I don't know. I think I would have stayed in radio for quite a bit longer. Yeah. And actually, I, I did come to a point uh, a couple of years afterwards, once I sort of got out, you know, got sort of my head around it all, um, where I thought, well, actually, it can turn out to be a pretty good thing because you did get to do something completely different. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, I, as much as I love radio, I don't think I wanted to spend my whole life in it. There's more to life than that. And your your way into the National Party was from observing it from outside, being a kind of critical assessor of things that had gone yeah, wrong, wasn't so. it? I yeah. mean, has that sort of informed your life in politics in some sense? I suppose. I mean, I was very, very, I, and I call it privileged because basically they they were hurting so much that they basically 
threw a life boat, a life raft out to yeah. to somebody that had come along. As I said, I was a clean skin. I didn't have any place in any of the arguments that had occurred leading into two thousand and two. Yeah, and and probably I knew some stuff and had run a sizable company and things. So so uh, it was a bit of a hail mary pass in a way, and um, so I was privileged to sort of get right into this organisation really quickly. And you know, it was hurting the people. The, the the volunteers were just, just, you know, they they weren't they weren't in good shape. Yeah. And so it was a, an organisation at its most vulnerable point. And I thought, well, okay, I can I can make a real mess here if I'm not careful. Um, so we need to be really careful with it. But I did. I probably through that process ended up way deeper in it than most other people that just sort of walk in the front door and say, hey, I'd like to join up. And you made various recommendations in that report into yep. the 2002 <coughs> debacle, I guess. You yep. know, uh, it, and and lots of those reforms came to mm. came to life. One of the one of the other parts that you looked at was the selection process. Yes. Do you, with the benefit of hindsight, when we think about mm. the Jamie Lee Ross, Andrew Falloon, mm. Hamish Walker, and so on, some of the selection, some of the selection problems that came to haunt the party. Later, mm. later on, whether you got that right, could more have been done? There? Well, we didn't actually change it that much. Okay, um, because uh, the party. Well, firstly, it's been a well litigated process over the years, long before I turned up, uh, and uh, and the party also feels very strongly, and I think rightly, about selecting its own electorate candidates. Mm. Uh, it's much more independent about that than some of the other parties, and so we just sort of said, you know, this. this this is too big to touch. And right. actually it wasn't apparent at the time that that was the broken bit. Yeah. Um, so we basically left it except for a couple of things. We allowed for a, um, a, a process of universal suffrage in an electorate to select a candidate. But that's only been used a couple of times actually and in, in none of the examples that you name. Uh, and, um, and we also uh, decided to make it that if small electorates couldn't you know, they weren't big enough to select yeah. their own candidate because there had been some experience of electorates with like 10 members. Being loaded with 12 people. Well, yeah, yeah, they wanted, get 12 yeah. more and suddenly, yeah. you know, somebody who's got nothing to do with the party selects a candidate and you're stuck with them. So we changed that. But it's, but aside from that, uh, the the examples of the Jamie Lee Ross and so on, I mean, unfortunately, it's the nature of politics where, you know, some extroverting larger-than-life types um, you know, get in uh, before the public, the, before the party or, and the public really get a chance to sort of see them in action. Um, and then, of course, it doesn't turn out so well. You, I don't know that you'll ever stop that, by the way. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. And you didn't have Facebook histories that you could no, pull through at that point. No, and, <laughs> and that is important. And I did the review for the Liberal Party in Australia after the 2019 election, hmm. and they weren't doing that well enough. But of course, that can become a weapon too. Internally, the Liberal Party in Australia is much more um, uh, sub-tribal than the National Party. Mm. So they have some quite robust processes for weeding out people whose histories on social media are perhaps indicative of problems to come. Uh, but that doesn't always work because actually, people of the you know of the more fundamentalist part of the party, or the left part of the party, or the right part of the party, will use that as a weapon to get. People just, you know, dis disqualified from being selected. Mm. So that becomes a weapon in itself. So the hardest part is actually having a process which is, uh, which is neutral, which is effectively just objective, 
which mm. looks at these people without somebody having an agenda behind. With actually uh, the national party homogenising, yeah, and and the national party is in much better shape than the liberals um, to deal with that. But it's I doubt it'll ever be perfect, but it could be better. Hmm. Speaking of the liberals in Australia. Mm. You went on to become 2005 campaign manager, but you might not have or no, wouldn't have wasn't the intention been, at all. had it not been for Scott Morrison. <laughs> that's a scoop in the book. I don't know if that's been, I don't know if No, that's I don't know how widely known that is. Thing. You know, Scott was going to come over and be our campaign manager. That was the plan. And, uh, and I thought he would have been great. Uh, and he probably would have been. Uh, he did the Liberal Party in, I think, a couple of elections in New South Wales. And um, then he got the call to stay in Australia because there was a seat coming up and he wanted to go into parliament. And so he, he sort of at the last minute, well, a year out, or six, uh, eight months out, I think, might have been the end of the year, he said, no, I, I can't do it. And then we were sort of stuck and Judy's looking around going, hmm, how about you? And I'm like, oh. And I thought, oh, well, I'm not doing anything. This will, be, this will be a fascinating challenge. Let's do it. The That campaign. Yes. When you look back at some of that, that was that was that was the the, the brash yes. leadership campaign <laughs> that came after Ottawa. Yeah, there were those John Ansell billboards. You touch mm. on them, but you don't. Again, you you know you sort of you mm. sort of you, you you move on quite swiftly past mm. that in the book. Do, do, does part of you reflect on that and think that was across the line? Uh, no, not really. Um, Kiwi, pe- pe- people though, read more into on. that. People read more into that than was ever intended, um, in that they saw it as a as a derogatory thing about iwi, where actually it was meant intended as a sort of clever wordplay that we're either, you know, all together or... or And that's the debate that's happening again now, of course, as as, uh, as people are debating about, um, you know, the level of, uh, I suppose, assistance su- supplied to, to, to Māori in areas like health and things like that. And it's a difficult one to answer because... In my way of thinking, I mean, we did lots of things in that area. Uh, but uh, interestingly, I think there's a pattern repeating this election that looks like 05 to 08. And I think the difficulty with the politics of both periods is that the Labour Party has got out ahead of public opinion. And we didn't actually have um, much debate about ethnic issues in the nine years that we were in government. Mm. And we spent a lot of time trying to think, okay, well, we've got to do some things to help, um, to assist um, uh, Māori uh, progress, for want of a better term. Uh, But we also have to carry the public with us. And, you know, people like Chris Finlayson spent a huge amount of time thinking about that. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think, and, and partly it's caused by the large Māori caucus in Labour, who get impatient. And then there's a, and then in '05 we had uh, uh, Tariana and Peter uh, Peter moving away. Um, and this time round we've had it's a variation of the theme. Uh, and unfortunately, I think, you know, the national-led government, if one happens after this election, will have to do this sort of patch things back together again that we really had to do in 08. But one of the things surely that Chris Finlayson and, and Bill English and John Keeley to some degree yeah. did in terms of kind of moving things yeah. forward as you yep. say or, you know yep. uh, Chris Finlayson has uh, done a lot to forward the co-governance yep. approach um, 
whether or not whatever In we call it, areas, yeah. whatever, whatever we call yeah. it. But part of that success was uh, resisting any temptation to use rhetoric like Kiwi Iwi, wasn't it? Oh, it was. It was. Uh, that was of its time, the o four o five thing, um, and the, what you're hearing now is of its time. But politicians ultimately just reflect the the public, in a way. Not all the public, but you know their job is to um, is to um, is to reflect the concerns of the public. And there is mm. wide concern at the state of race relations in this country at the moment. Whether you agree with it or not, it's there. Uh, it's 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 uh, unlikely that politicians would ignore it. Yeah. Um, it's their job to actually but, go out and, and find out what concerns people and, and to have solutions. But at the same time, I mean... Yes, you can go John, about it in different ways. Jo yes. jo John Key, who you work with so yeah. closely yeah. On, on those campaigns, seemed to be very cognizant all the time of not... I mean, he, you know, at the yeah. time I remember, I remember I remember interviewing him with the Herald at one point, there was... he. Um, he was challenged by Audrey Young about uh, mm. how the National Party policy at that time mm. was still to remove Māori yep. seats. Mm. But he was, you know, very openly pragmatic about it. I think he used to well, he was he could from hell. Which was a, but, you know, it's kind he, of... He's he an openly he pragmatic person. Exactly. Yeah. And he didn't want and to Dom necessarily... And Dombrash is different. Yeah. Um, and and uh, I think, you know, if you, if you look at the wider sweep of history, the 05 um, election um, allowed for a... Uh, a more, yeah, meant that a, somebody like John could come in mm. afterwards, and um, well, it's, and it's, I don't think it, you could see it in the prism of race relations because you could see it in the prism of aspiration. Of yeah, you know, he he his thing was to to be a much more positive yeah. um, direction. It was an country. optimistic, yeah. and yeah. it was there, and it was right. I think. It was there in the slogans, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, you choose a brighter future, yeah. and then you had variations on. Yeah. Brightness and future all the way through that you that you would. Yeah. I, 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 I'm interested now if we cast forward to now. Yeah. Again, times are different. But what do you make of getting New Zealand back on track? That's that, that, that doesn't quite have that same uh, rising well, you, dawn, you, dawn feeling about but it. But it's it? never going to be though, is it? Because every election uh, is different, mm. and every situation is different. And I'm assuming that they've worked out that a lot of people think the country's gone off track. And therefore, there's a market for somebody to come along and say, has, oh, we'll get it back on track. Has some echoes of Wayne Brown in that, in that regard, doesn't it? Well, well uh, I, think it just had, I think it has echoes of the time. I mean, I think there is a sense, uh, without getting too much into the current politics, but there is a sense that the country has gone off track somehow in the last five or six years, and that's shared by many people. And as you say, it was a successful sort of uh, campaign, I suppose, for Wayne Brown. Uh, in his own way, it was a bit different to to what the the National Party's doing. But nevertheless, I, I think you know politicians respond to public concern as a general rule. That's what they do. I'm interested in your uh, reflections on campaigns as someone who's been through many of them about what what moves the dial and what mm. doesn't. Um, Maybe starting on debates, uh, and you've got some interesting anecdotes about the d debates through mm. through the book. You know, there was the and tw tw two thousand and eight was an important one for John Key and yes, kind of proving himself. Mm. And I, you know, I love the idea of Nicola Willis playing Helen Clark <laughs> at length. And then, of course, two thousand and eleven, the Show Me the Money, yes. all those sorts of things. How important are debates, and do you think they're going to be important this time this time round? Well, they're sort of important, but their importance. 
comes they often is because they provide catalytic points where things that have been brewing for a while people can go ah that and that was the show me the money thing in 11 as we'd been banging away for some time about our concerns about yeah. uh, what Phil Golf was promising and feeling that it was quite or very detached actually from the reality of where the where the country was with the earthquakes and GFC and so on and on the surface, we weren't getting a massive amount of traction with that, uh, but it was building. And then John made that line in the Christchurch press debate of all debates. Yeah, the uh, first first time that had been held. Yeah, wasn't it? and the first time it was purely online, mm. and first time a debate that was purely online actually had an impact yeah. really at a and national that, level. And that sort of town hall style yeah. as well, right? Yeah. And job done. I mean, and jo John didn't know that was going to have the impact it did. I don't think ahead of time. But it worked, and he had the you know, smarts to stop there. <laughs> right, it's done. Um, and um, and so I think that debates allow for those moments. And if you look at 08, really what was going on there was that, as I said in the book, that Labor um, you know, really believed that Helen Clark was the ace, and she was so far ahead of mm. John Key in terms that she would just sort of uh, wipe the floor with him, and that didn't happen. And uh, so I think it was a that was a, that was a different test and a different test that he passed, mm. and and maybe one that is has more similarities to this time around because obviously Chris Hopkins hasn't been the prime minister for anywhere near the no. time of Alan Clark, but he's been around. Yes, he's been around back. You know, in your mm. time there, he, he's a he's a he knows how to do ha debating in the house. He mm. he, he thrives yeah. on that. Chris Luxon is more untested. So going into that. Square up. Mm. What would what would your advice be to to Christopher Luxon? <laughs> You're getting dangerously close to me commentating on the current campaign. Um, oh look, I, I there'd be a range of advice, but uh, I think for all of them, the key thing is to, and this may sound a bit sort of hackneyed, but just sort of learn your stuff and then relax and be yourself, and don't get too freaked if you make a mistake, because because actually it's not about that. It's 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 getting. You know, I've, sometimes commentators get very excited if there's a slip up, but yeah. the public is sort of. Uh, if it's a slip up that catalyzes something they they believe, then yeah, that's a big deal. But most of the time, you know, they know that politicians are human, and they they give them quite a lot of latitude mm. of stuff that doesn't concern them. It is that headlights thing sometimes that can be. The mm. risk, right? And um, and you talk about it in the book, I think, a bit in terms of the 2017 campaign mm. when everything moved suddenly. And there yep. are a few of those that you were involved with. The other one that, you know, I remember being uh, constantly eventful and unpredictable was 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 2014, which you talk <laughs> about. Um, I mean, a com weird. <laughs> complete roller coaster, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. And that was that but it was, was also of weird course, because the because the, prior to that election campaign period. The country had sort of been sailing along. There hadn't been that sort of build of right. concern. Yeah, and then all these wacky characters came out of the woodwork. Yeah, it was as if they were as if Stephen Levine had ordered them up to make yeah. this book, book and conference more a bit interesting. More interesting because it wasn't looking that way. <laughs> and we had for those who whose memories don't stretch that far back or have deleted it from their memory, <laughs> um, we had the Nikki Hager book, Dirty Politics. Yes, and we had Kim dot com's yes. political vehicle, which with, with reached um, its denouement in that incredible strange town hall moment of truth event. <laughs> yeah. 
running a campaign when that sort of stuff is happening, A, how do you do deal with it and keep people kind of on message and keep people sort of mm. from reeling? Mm. And I guess B, does it move the dial? Well, the moment of truth moved the dial in our favour. In your favour. Yep, absolutely. Um, and But your wider question is, is I think you've got to have a really good campaign system because, yeah, there's, there's huge potential for the wheels to fall off in an election campaign. Um, and one thing I learned from the Liberals when I went over before I even did the first one was was they have a machine. Everybody knows their role. Right. There's a rhythm to the day and they rely on that rhythm. Yeah, and probably the the Labor Party in Australia does that as well, for all I know. But they they do that, and that provides you with a scaffold, right, where th things can go wrong, and they always go wrong. In that very first campaign, you know, the Brethren and all that stuff, you know, uh, Bob Clarkson and his testicles, those things. <laughs> yeah, you, there's just no way that you know what's going to happen. You just have to go right. Okay, here's where we are. <laughs> where do we go from here? Uh, and you need to be able to to reassure your team, I think, that, that's, that this isn't the end, that there'll be another thing along tomorrow. Um, you're, and you're, as politics, as my friend Wayne Eagleson says, is not a game of perfect. You're going to have to remind people about Bob Clarkson and his testicles for those who don't. <laughs> well, Bob, Bob, he was, he'd, he'd come into politics and for the 05 campaign to do one thing. He wanted to tip Winston Peters out of Tauranga. And he's a developer in Tauranga and, you know, Bob's a rough diamond and talks like a guy on a building site of that era and he he just made no apologies and no attempt to sort of filter his language or anything through the whole campaign it became a bit of a problem for us so yes he was beating Winston uh yes he was going to win the seat of Tauranga but he he uh was very quotable and I think it was Rebecca Wright who was in dispatch to Tauranga to to get you know, to see what she could find for the news. <laughs> Not a difficult assignment. Mm. And we'd, we'd, we'd basically decided that we had to get somebody else to work with Bob and Tony Ryle, his neighbouring MP, senior MP, was asked to work with him. They did this interview. And it went, all, went, all went pretty well, really. And literally, you just about see in the clip afterwards, Tony sort of starting to relax. And then at the very end of it, Bob <laughs> stood up and sort of, rearranged his trousers and said, oh, look, I just got to go out and drain the spuds. And, <laughs> and of course, that led the news. But the worst part about that was Don's reaction. Not that, I mean, I feel sorry for Don because he got stuck with it, you know. The next thing, the, the TV crew that are with him in Hawke's Bay. But Don sort of uttered the immortal line, I don't, I, frankly, I don't want any of my candidates you know, talking about their testicles. <laughs> and, and, of course, that clip was gold. And, it, and that went to everybody because it was in a stand-up. So uh, yeah, so that was the day. Straight like the the Don Brash thing is so interesting that he, I mean, he had so much of what he needed, but there was a bit missing, wasn't there? And there's another bit you relay when you had gone to work through his talking points with yeah. him. And correct me if I've got this wrong, but you explained them to him. He nodded and mm. took it all on board and said, "Well, this is all all very well and good, but of course, I won't be able to use any of these unless they ask me." <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and he, he just never he just never got that. You know, the, the requirement for a politician. It's kind of a daring in a way. A, a, a daring? Endearing. Endearing. Well, it is. It is. I mean, he was, he was, he would sit in front of you and, and answer your actual question. That's how BFM got him to talk about the Britain. They just asked him. Yeah. He goes, oh, well, actually, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And, <laughs> and everybody else, including me and, yeah. and uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> where, where did that come from? 
Uh, but yeah, it was sort of endearing. But actually, you know, part of the job is being able to both answer the questions and say what you want to say. Mm. And that's the, that's the gig. Mm. Um, in all of those campaigns, John Key, mm. at a certain point, I think normally quite early in election year, and he started the tradition, mm. the welcome tradition of announcing election days. Yep. Which you resisted, I think you say in the book. Initially, but, but yeah. Initially, but you know, it's, it's quite a nice tradition. Um, but he would also lay out clearly um, from position of strength yes. what what the relationship would be with potential coalition partners. Well, he only did that in fourteen, actually, because in eleven, uh, we didn't lay it out until the fateful week of the teapot tape. Uh, that was when when it, when it was made, but it was still made clear, right? Uh, Two, well, yes, but um, I, I have to go back and check the. 2014 was definitely when he decided, you know, having had the experience of 2011, he didn't want to have anything like that ever again. He, he wanted to get it out on the table. Ambiguity. Yeah, he wanted to get it out on the table, be yeah. clear. And look, to your point, he was he had the advantage of incumbency. Hmm. He had the advantage of uh, of knowing who it was he could work with, hmm. and um, and so yeah, plenty of reasons. Um, that he could do that. But in 2008, 2011, correct me if I'm wrong, he ruled out working with New Zealand First. Yes. And then he said, I think in, in 2014 and then uh, Bill mm. English subsequently in 2017, not our preference is yep. the statement, but mm. we will we will deal, you know, the, the, mm. the cards were dealt yeah. or cliche of your choice. Why isn't Christopher Luxon doing that? It seems well, just, it's puzzling to me. Well, I think it's, well, again, I'm, I'm not there, but I, I would just counsel... There are some things you can draw from election to election and there are other things you can't. And one of the things you can't is, you know, the calculus of, of, uh, of you know, who you might work with. That, that very much depends on election by election and who's in the frame. Because you can both encourage and discourage. I mean, in 2002, Helen Clark, uh, by taking the approach she did, ultimately, by mistake, I think, encouraged the public to start looking for coalition partners for her. Hmm. And so they started scattering votes away from Labour into the United Future hmm. Hmm. Uh, or or New Zealand First. And, and, and that was just a, a moment of time. So my point is it's not an exact science and you can't just sort of cookie cutter and go, right, sure. this is what we should do every election. I think the date thing is good. I think the incumbent should name the date and long may it continue. Because it actually does give the country a chance to, because we have quite a short election cycle, it gives the country to spend two and a half years between elections instead of just two, mm. more than anything else. Uh, let's let's do the fiscal hole. <laughs> sure. The, the, the can't, can't be avoided. I don't want to relitigate all of that. No. Um, Feel free. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you would happily do it. Mm. You, you do, though, talk about how you knew at the time that it could, these are your words, explode in our faces. Yeah. You knew that it was a high risk. Yeah. You were in a position where you needed to make something happen. Yes. And and, and 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 in specifics, we knew there were problems with their numbers, mm. but we just couldn't get anybody in the gallery to yeah. take any interest. Because it was, it was, you know, the gallery's sort of story was just under mania. Uh, and, uh, and sometimes there's some great people in the gallery, but sometimes the gallery can end up with a bit of a narrative of their own and what they think will happen and then then it gets quite hard to move that and they weren't really you know and there's a range of practical reasons which i list in the book as well that they weren't really um that excited about just comparing numbers and and, and looking at these sorts of questions 
Uh, so we had to do it differently, and we did. And I knew that it was uh, uh, you know, going out and having a press conference and listing out all the numbers and releasing tables and mm. things. Yeah, that's reasonably high risk, but um, but you know, I stand by it, and and uh, and it was the, I think it was the right thing to do. And we're not going to litigate it, but I will say that subsequent subsequent events I think proved it correct. Um, the and did was it was it vindicated as as a tactic? Do you think? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think because it got, it did get the campaign back onto the stuff that was important, which was mm. not just who you are, but what you're going to do. Um, and particularly economically, um, which we felt was being um, uh, was being brushed under the carpet, and uh, so that's what happened. And actually, we spent the remaining couple of weeks of the campaign focused on economic issues, and and you know, combination of that plus, uh, I think Bill just got stronger and stronger as the campaign went on, hmm. uh, and and possibly to some degree it was going to happen anyway. That that yeah, you have. Uh, Jacinda's star was sort of bright early on, but was it possible to sustain it all the way to the election? But we, um, you know, we ended up forty-four thirty-seven, I think, in favour, um, and so I think it was, uh, yeah, it was a good campaign. I thought it was the best campaign in a in a campaign sense mm. because because it was uh, it was a time when actually we got to change where the campaign as a whole effectively sort of was able to change the outcome that was apparent with about a month to go. You had to pivot. We had to pivot a, lot, a number Suddenly. of ways. Yeah. It's an interesting point that you make in passing in the book in which I think you, you, you say that campaigns are often an exercise in contrast. Yes. And that, that, that there it was laid bare, right? The, mm. the campaign you thought you were running... It wasn't, was the, wasn't it anymore, way. that's right. Yeah. Well, we, had, yeah, we were there, competent, sensible, you know, and Labor had struggled with the various leaders and Andrew Little wasn't cutting through and so on and he was a bit angry and, and you know, it was, it was all fine. And suddenly Jacinda w became the leader mm. and we'd previously looked competent. We started to look out of date uh, because she was new and shiny and and um, and all those things and we were no longer. So you think, okay, well, how do you how do you respond to that? Uh, I, I mentioned at the top the fisc fiscal fiscal holes are very much uh, around us at the moment. The, be, the, yeah. the backing and forthing of mm. them. Would you accept now? I, I can't recall what your position mm. was then that an independent costings unit might take some of this. I mean, we, even before the pre-election fiscal update, just somebody to say well, it's not not to be definitive. No. Just to say, yeah, well, like, I, I think know, it just. I think the risk is that it just adds another player. Because and I would go and look at countries which have those things yeah. and ask, does that remove those debates? In the UK and in the US, I think both have them. And I'm not saying we won't end up with one, but I just think people are probably a bit naive if they think that that's going to solve the argument. But arguments it might have, because, wouldn't it? Because in the, the US, time, they end up beating up on the, oh, the, sure, the sure. Congressional Budget Office, and it's just like one more sure. pinata to have a go at. Sure, um, I guess it's sort of someone <laughs> even it's just kind of to, you know you talk about all these competing narratives. Yeah. Someone to just sort of lay out. Yeah. These are the. I just love it if they had some financial journalists that actually oh, would, right. would okay. take this. The media's to blame. The well, media's no, no, to no. blame. No, I just well, no, they're not to blame. They, I just think you know the media struggles actually because of the resourcing issues and all those yeah. things, but. But um, uh, I think some more analysis of what actually is is is, is happening, more sort of picking up the calculator, um, would would I think be good for the country? So that election, 
your lot won more seats. Yes, comfortably, but didn't but didn't get um, to be the government. That, That's correct. That, that chap Winston Peters again yes. was involved. You were in the room for those. Mm. Co- there's some interesting kind of uh, detail about the the nature of those negotiations. Yeah, let's not let's not traverse all of that. No. But do you think that you? were sold a pup. Do you think that you were really just leverage and that he was always going Labour's way? I don't know. Um, I've reported in the book that Jerry decided quite early on that that was what was happening. Jeremy, uh, Jerry Brownlee thought yeah. they were being led on. Yeah, after a couple of days, he said, oh, no, yeah. they're not coming with us. Yeah. Um, and he's quite a good judge of what's happening, actually. I, I, I tend to find it a bit self-defeating to sort of try and aspire motives to what people are up to. I sort of tend to sort of focus a bit more on what they were doing. And anyway, what was our alternative was just to sort of throw throw a fit and leave. Mm, mm. <laughs> and um, and um, yeah, so so yeah, it may not have been he may not have been serious. He may just have been using us as leverage. I mean, who knows? He got a lot out of them, partly as as a result of that. So. So maybe he was. I know there were people in New Zealand First who really wanted to come with us, and then there were people, including Winston, who wanted to go with them, mm. and that's what happened. And he sort of had a seemed to have basically just a checklist. Yeah. That uh, will you give us that would rather than any kind of grand conversation about. Oh, I'm sure there were grand conversations or? with the leaders. Okay. But um, quite late in the piece. Right. But yeah. Um, but yeah, he he just seemed to want to get what he wanted. Um, I, I don't have a better answer for this this sort of Dutch auction that occurs, uh, but it does seem to be, um, uh, and I'm not against MMP, but it does mean that a lot of what people say before an election, it's, it's convenient to sort of slide out from a lot of that afterwards. Mm. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, and I, and I do think you wouldn't want to have too often the largest party being kicked over. I mean, you have to have the capacity for that. But um, I think if you had that happening too often, then you'd end up with uh, people questioning the electoral system again. Um, and, um, you know, we don't really want to go through yet another change. You were branded the Mr Fixit, the Minister of Everything, all quite nice things. I called you the, the Cabinet Slip Cordon at one point, which was meant, <laughs> meant as a compliment. Oh, OK. Um, the, but you know, you you can sort of walk away feeling as though you uh, uh, have a pretty good record on delivery. You know, you're proud of your uh, ultrafast broadband, yep. all those sorts of things. Yeah, what's no. your What's your TED talk? What's your shorter TED talk for politicians of any stripe who are going into that weird machine? Right, mm, that weird machine. Is a weird machine. I mean, you I, I you know, at one point you talk about yes, minister and yes, prime minister, and I sort of think you can tell a bit the nature of a politician by their choice of political TV show right. or political, you know, Jamie Lee Ross, of course, the American version of House of Cards. <laughs> um, some are West Wing, some are thinking yeah. about whatever. You're a yes minister. Chris Finlayson is a yes minister. He named his book after it, didn't right, he? Right, yes. It, tell us a bit about how you go about getting stuff done. Well, I start from the position genuinely that most people go to work each day to do a good job. And so it and it was the same in radio as in politics. You say, okay, well, then it's being clear what success looks like and then testing what they're doing to sort of check that they're, you know, heading on the path and being clear of yourself, you know, mm. to acknowledge that you that you can make plenty of mistakes in the way you communicate things. And so 
that's sort of the approach I took with it. And when I went into politics, I thought, geez, this, this is really different uh, to, 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 to commercial world. And it is, but there are levers. And it's about working out where the levers are and the levers that will have an impact and not getting diverted into scraps about stuff that have no consequence. And so I would try and think, okay, well, what? keep in mind always, what are we trying to achieve here? And the other thing I said in the book at one point, which I do genuinely believe is when you're in a bit of a bind and you're in a conversation and you're sort of cross-examining the officials, ask, keep in mind for yourself, what does the public actually expect of you at this point? You, know, you are the public's representative. If they were sitting here, if you yeah, if somebody from Taranaki or Hawke's Bay was sitting here, what was what would be their question and what would be the answer they'd accept and what would be the one they wouldn't accept and ask those questions and get those answers? And you can't go too far wrong. Uh, moving to something that's slightly more um, celebrity-focused, you've now carved your name into the uh, meme annals of New Zealand politics, or at least twice, actually. <laughs> oh. There's the M and M pretty legal thing, yeah, uh, which I noticed you managed to forgot to mention in your forgot to mention in your book that you had to pay six hundred grand for that, didn't you? In a, in the uh, it's a bit more nuanced than that, oh, and okay. I decided, and there are some legal <laughs> requirements around who can say what about oh. whom. So I decided not to. I just thought you'd to just go about. I did. I think. No, I did. I did think I'd point out it. Well, actually, <laughs> yeah, it didn't land the way it looked to land. Oh, yeah, because there were other parties that also okay. had culpability and things. But let's not. Okay. For, for, for all sorts of reasons, let's okay. not get into that. So, that's, no, it wasn't that, an attempt sounds, to hide That it. sounds pretty accurate. Yeah. The other one <laughs> was the the squeaky pecker, to yes. give it its correct yeah. name. Oh, well, yeah, okay. The, the Waitangi incident. Yes. When you were yep. hit on the bonce with yes. um, that phallic object. Yes. And you... It was meant for John, by the way. I don't think I've heard she, she took it to really? Waitangi for John. So you so were the bouncer. I, I was I was the substitute. You were DP, <laughs> I said, DP said to him, I took that for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, took, I took the... No, I don't know. I'm going to end that sentence. That doesn't yeah. go well. But you did you decide... I mean, you talk about... You, did you decide you've got to take that in good humour? Yeah. And... Um, and well, what's the alternative? John Oliver. Well, I don't know. I mean, because... Or to, to put it another way, if that happened today, I mean, it's quite funny like yeah. in, in one sense, but if it happened today, it might land, not literally, but it might land differently given the climate is different about threats made to politicians after the occupation yeah. and various things like that. Possibly. Um, possibly, but it could have, I suppose, it, I, I sort of contradicting my previous answer, I, I suppose it could have been the same then. Hmm. Um, I mean, I could have just said, right, well, that's not good enough. And, uh, and and you know, when the police came and asked me about pressing charges, even though it's their decision, I think they like to get a a read from the person who was the subject sure. to, to you know, what, do you, what do you think? Um, uh, and uh, I just thought that it would, it was best just laughed off because it was sort of funny. Um, and there's a part of me that's sort of anarchic radio from way back. So, you know, there's, there's, there is, there is sort of funny stuff. Did a thousand dildos fly. Uh, well, you know, um, we used to, we used to, in student radio, we used to go around gifting cabbages to the general manager of 2XS and stuff. So, you know, we, we that stuff, um, is, is, yeah, there's a certain anarchic part of it, but, uh, I think it was also not to take it too seriously because you only 
the world doesn't need more of that sort of offence to be taken, um, and nobody got hurt, um, and and you know dusted ourselves off and went on our way, and um, yeah, it was it was it was strange. I mean, uh, <laughs> it's 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 constantly used on social media as a form of insult to me, which I find amusing because I don't think it was something I caused. But there you go. You mean now or back yeah, in the oh, day? still yeah. Still? Yeah, if somebody wants to have a go at me on social media, they generally pick up a meme of that and throw it oh, at really? me. Or um, when you do one of your nice tweets about your cabbage patch. Yeah, stuff. that's right. That's right. I, I, I ignore all that now, so that's all good. Um, there's a, another strong line in your book when you talk about um, John Key's decision to yeah. resign. Um when he calls you up and you said that you could tell immediately by the tone that by the end of the conversation, one of you oh, wasn't right. going to be in their job anymore. Yeah, it's just a matter of working out which one. <laughs> and that 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 moment, which mm. is an important one in the history of the National Party, isn't it? Mm. Um, was it inevitable from that point that things would fall apart? No, and I don't think they did. Well, they did. Well, after, they were not, not they did until, after a period of time. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess no, I, I don't think it was inevitable at all. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, as you say, it did happen. It was about 2020, so it was about three years later, four years later from after he left. So, no, I don't think... I, I asked because Andrew Vance's book, Blue Blood, sort of begins, has that yeah, as the kind of the... That's her theory that's the moment on it. it starts. Yeah. yeah, but I just don't think that's right. I think it started... It really started when Bill retired. Um, started and, with the investigation of the 2002 campaign that failed to identify... No, I'm kidding, Karen. No, no, it was when, no, when Bill retired after 17. Yeah. That's when it really started. And I think at that point there could be... I think actually John could walk away and say, well, actually the transition that he engineered to, to Bill worked really well, I think. Um, and, and, and the evidence is there. I mean, the election outcome, notwithstanding Winston, mm. was... Um, was about as good as you could get. The real challenge for us in 2017 was that uh, we lost the Māori Party out of out of the um, parliament, and uh, and as a result, the calculus just wasn't there for us. And you, by your own account, had some ambivalence about the leadership when it became vacant. Mm. When when, yeah. when Bill English decided to to leave, do you think? Well, I was I was keen on it at one level, but. My theory on this, and I didn't say it in the book, is that the thing about politics is particularly is as particularly if you've got family, the bar gets higher the longer you stay, and the bar. I think I, I probably didn't know it at that point, but the bar was getting pretty high. You know, you know Tommy's struggles, and you know, it's and, your son who yeah, was diagnosed with autism. Yeah, and uh, and uh, and you know, and Amelia uh, was was struggling without a, a dad there. And there's a, there's a point coming. There was always a point coming when it was time to go. And so in a way, not getting the leadership sort of was helpful in that respect. Do you think you might have had a better shot at the leadership or been a different sort of politician in terms of the lead up to that had you been an electorate MP? There were a few opportunities along the way for yeah, you to go that well, way. it might have been, but I think probably the biggest difference would have been I'd had to decide that that was what I really wanted to do. Yeah. And I'd plan for it. And Yeah. You know, talk to colleagues and get to know them extra well, and do what the things that prospective leaders do. You know, learning how to count colleagues and things. And I, I was always really busy on the 
main gig um, and really didn't have any spare capacity anyway. And I hadn't really thought through that that was my thing. And, and, uh, um, and so, yeah, that was probably the main reason. Just on that National Party episode, which you can talk about now, it seems to be over. Mm. It was happened after you left. Yeah. Um, sort of ritual self-immolation. <laughs> you guys had all seen what happened in the Labour Party. Most of the people there had had, mm. had, had, had watched. How did it I don't know. How, it it How do you repeat I, I, exactly the... I wasn't there. Um, I think the trouble is that sometimes in organisations people think that you know, anybody can be the leader and actually they're not as... They're not as probably as unique as you think at the other extreme, but they're also not as common as some people think. And it's actually a really tough job, and it's a very tough job in opposition. And uh, obviously, too many people thought that they could do it. And, um, and do you think because John Key sort of made it seem look easy from the outside in a way, or if you weren't in that kitchen cabinet, is that what you mean? I, I that's part of it, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's not easy. None of it's easy. I mean, and the funny thing is too is when things look easy, people just forget them anyway. I, I just I talk in the book about that period in oh eight to eleven where we reportedly didn't do much, um, and and uh, and the and the narrative around two thousand eleven was was you know oh they're not really doing that much, and then you look back and think well there was the tax switch, there was this, there was that, there was the broadband, and there was the roading, and you know and there was stuff and health and so on. It's actually quite a bit, but because it went quite smoothly, everybody goes, oh, that was pretty easy. Why didn't they do some real stuff? Um, and I think that's the same with political leadership is that when it looks easy, you know, suddenly everybody thinks they can do it. Yeah. Tell us a bit about life after politics. Um, tell, tell us about tell us about your son, Tommy, and the work you've, you've done around autism. Um, well, my work around autism has ended up being much more about Tommy than about people generally. Um, uh, and that's because he's needed it. Um, unfortunately, he, um, as is quite common with people with autism, he developed epilepsy as well. About one in three kids with autism also get epilepsy, uh, which seems, you know, cosmically unfair um, to those kids. And um, so he developed that in 19, I think it was. And, uh, and unfortunately, we had a period initially where we found a set of drugs that um, that that you know stopped it, uh, but unfortunately we haven't subsequently. So he has to deal with that as well as everything else, and and I think for all families that um, are in that situation, you have to sort of circle the wagons a little bit and and spend a bit more time on that. He's a lovely kid, um, and uh, and it's been it's great to spend more time around him, uh, and and you know and his sister Amelia who. Um, has um, developed the running bug and um, is a great little runner and it's just great to go to all her events. She's and, got you out there. Oh, she's the got me running, running too, shorts. which is outrageous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, <laughs> I've ended up running you know, cross-country events with Harriers around Auckland, which is just unheard of, but that mainly because Amelia dared me to. Yeah. So yeah, so that's sort of fun. And it's, otherwise, and probably developed work-life balance and yeah. doing 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 sort of contract work yeah. really, sort yep. of charging outrageous amounts of money to Waikato University. Apparently, and stuff like that. Well, yeah. yeah. And are you going to be the Brian Roche of the new national government? Will you I, be the? the I have will no you be idea. I'm actually to... 
quite quite busy with a list of clients that I really okay. enjoy working All right. with. Okay. Mm. Yeah, there's the last line and the last paragraph in the book almost reads like you're writing it down so you can't so you can't go back on it that you're definitely done with politics. All oh, right. Definitely, Does definitely it read that way? Politics. Oh, something like that. It is time for war balance, but I'm beyond it. I won't do it again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe I overdid that. Um, but no, it, it is genuinely it. People ask me, and I'm sure lots of ex-politicians get asked, but um, I do get asked quite a bit. Uh, and I've noticed that my answer has shifted. Um, whereas previously I, I'd say something like, oh, look, thanks very much, um, you know, job's done, all that sort of thing. And now I just sort of turn to people and sort of grin and say, Really, <laughs> I'm just not going back there again. Yeah, um, and I think you know that's that's it's the passage of time. It's unwinding and learning the value of everything else in your life. The last thing I'm going to ask you is you um, you note in your acknowledgements that Chris Finlayson put you onto Miff Early at Ellen and Unwin. Yes, to do the book. So in in, in uh, keeping a tradition going. Who are you going to now nominate Ooh, as the point. next politician that will write a memoir oh, for? Don't know the answer to that one. question. Um, yeah, it doesn't have to be from your own party. You can no, no. You can nominate anybody you like. Yes. Who might have an interesting story that isn't obviously interesting? Yeah. Ah, uh, that's intriguing, and I don't have an answer for you there. I'm afraid. Morris I've Williamson been. comes up a bit earlier in your book. Yes, maybe, Morris maybe does. He well, he, he would have an – well, he's busy in politics, of course. Todd Barclay. Todd Barclay. To well, yes. Well, there's a few names, isn't there? Jamie um, Lee Ross. <laughs> I won't be suggesting it, but it would no. be an interesting book. <laughs> okay. Well, come back to us with an answer when you've got one. Sure. Appreciate your time. Thanks for coming us. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers. Kia ora e tewi. Te Kia ora here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.